Well, good morning, church family. Why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of the word? If you have your Bibles with you, turn open to the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at chapter three, finishing out this chapter today. If you are a guest with us, we're grateful that you're joining us. These are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. And so we take these moments as a community to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ, how are we called to walk with the spirit of God each and every day. And so with that said, let's begin to read the word of the Lord together. This is chapter three of Philippians, beginning in verse 12. The apostle Paul would say, not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We ask that you would take this word, place it deep into our hearts, God. Encourage us, convict us, help us to see more clearly the life that you have called us to. In your precious and your holy name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This past Thursday during my lunch hour, I gave my wife a call and I asked her, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you and the kiddos up to? And they said that they were going to the Yellow Park. It's one of the parks by our house. So I thought I would surprise her and show up to the park with lunch. And so I went and picked up some lunch. I'm not gonna tell you where I picked up from because you'll judge me. And then I went to the park and I got to surprise them. And it was really fun as I walked up to the playground, the kids weren't expecting me. They saw me and dad and they ran to me. It was like this perfect, you know, picture type of moment. And we got to walk around the park with each other. We played with each other. We were running up and down hills. I didn't do the running. I was catching them at the bottom of the hill just for clarity. And it was just a sweet time filled with just joy. And, you know, the kids were being kind to one another. And it just had this deep sense of like love as a family. And then I went back to the office and then I came home that night. And then we had a different experience. (laughs) And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You, You have a great moment. Things are good. Everyone's being kind and compassionate and loving. And then just hours later, it's like a whole different family is there. And it all started when we tried to get the kids to go to sleep 
And we wanted to invite them all into Astoria's bedroom. And I had this vision in my mind. We're going to, not all of us, but the kids are going to get up on the top bunk. And then we're going to get their little Bible. And I'm going to read them a Bible story. And it's going to be just precious. Astoria did not want her brothers in her bed that night. And so then there was a lot of tears and a lot of yelling. And then I'm getting upset. And then my wife's getting upset. And she's saying stuff to me. And I'm saying stuff to her. And it just kind of turns. We just wanted to read the Bible. And now we're mad at each other and we're angry and there's this funk in the household. And all along, what gave me peace is this realization of, you know what? Why that happens is because we're just human. And that's not an excuse. It's just the reality. I'm a person. My daughter's a person. My two sons are people. My wife is a person. We all have our wants. We all have our needs. We all have the things that God is working in us and out of us and through us. And so there are those beautiful moments where we are exuding the beautiful reality of kingdom-minded individuals. But then there's also hours later where we see the fleshly part of us come out. Some of the anger, some of the frustration, some of the the disappointments. And again, in a lot of ways, that's to be expected because we are human. And Paul, in this portion of the scriptures, he's really talking about this very thing. It seems as if that some of the individuals who made up the church in Philippi, they had started to believe this idea that they had reached Christian maturity. And so Paul is wanting to talk about this because the reality is, no, 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 no. This side of eternity, you have not reached Christian maturity. And what's unique is that you are called to it, yes, but you will not achieve it, but you should still strive for it, right? And so the Apostle Paul begins this part as he's really leaning into this idea of maturity, and he wants to talk about, first and foremost, the mindset that you must have for maturity. And so he begins by, in verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Catch that word, he says, consider myself. The first part of the mindset towards maturity is this idea of looking inward. It's an invitation to consider oneself. If I'm going to walk into a process of maturity, then I have to understand and realize, I have to have some self-reflection. I need to know what is taking place inside of me. Augustine wrote in AD 40, or sorry, 400, how can you draw close to God, he said, when you are far from your own self? So he prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. So there's this invitation to first look inward, when we're trying to captivate this attitude or this mindset, this view towards maturity. And then Paul says there's this opportunity to look backwards. It's an invitation to isolate the past. He says it like this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, when Paul makes a statement, forgetting what is behind, we we do need to be careful with it. Because you could maybe come to the conclusion that we, yeah, things that have happened in the past, they don't matter. They're, they're not important. And many of us right now would say, yeah, I'm actually thinking about something right now that took place in the past, and it seems very important to me right now. In the scriptures, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about his past. 
He talks a lot about his life before he knew Jesus. It played a big part for him. And so what Paul is saying here, he is not discrediting the past or he's not trying to minimize it. But he does seem to invite us to surrender it. See, we do not need to discredit the past. We do not need to minimize the past or assume that it has not played a role in our becoming. We do not need to discredit the pain that we have experienced. Many of you in this room right now, you have experienced tragic pain in your life. And it's gonna be very difficult to forget it completely, but what if we could, with the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to isolate it? Isolate it in order to to surrender it and to work in the processes that can promote healing and wholeness, all the while being carried by the Spirit of God and also being carried by the hope that we have in Christ. And so again, this mindset begins by the willingness to reflect inwardly, then to isolate the past, forgetting what is behind, and then he says these words, I press on towards the goal. This is the idea of looking forward, inward, backward, and then forward. It's an invitation through the stages of maturity. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to what we have already attained. It seems as if that Paul recognizes that the journey towards maturity passes through various stages. And while we, the church, who make up the body of Christ, those who profess faith in the person and the work of Jesus, we should all be unified in the aim to move forward. We will be in different stages in our maturing, but what we rally around is this idea that we must all move forward. The invitation here is to live up to your stage of maturity, to live up to your current level of Christ-likeness. Now, many Christian authors and writers and thinkers have used language to try to communicate, well, what does this process look like? I mean, how do I know what stage that I'm in? What are even the stages of maturity? And where we could go to a lot of different thinkers, I do want to hone in on the work of Robert Mulholland. He has a four-part framework that I think beautifully displays the the sequence in a simplistic matter that I think could help us this morning. Now, he calls it the classical Christian pilgrimage. I'm going to call it the stages of maturity, but it looks like this. It begins with an awakening. He says that awakening is characterized as an encounter with the living God. It is also an encounter with our true self. I think about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. On the road to Damascus, he has this encounter with Jesus. It's a trajectory shifting and shaping moment for him in his life. It was this awakening that he began to have of the person of Jesus. It was so interesting because every single one of us, we have had that type of awakening moment. There's a gentleman in the first service this morning and his awakening moment was just a couple months ago. For some of you, your awakening moment could have been 25, 35 years ago, but we all had that moment of coming into a knowing relationship of Jesus, our spiritual awakening. Then the next part of this framework is that of purgation. 
He describes it as the process of bringing our behavior and our attitudes, our desires into increasing harmony with our growing perception of what the Christ-like life is all about. I think about for the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter seven. Many of us know that famous verse where he says, the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. You ever, anybody ever manage that tension a little bit? See, what's happening for the Apostle Paul is as he's engaging in the stages of maturity, he is learning more and more the things in his life that need to be purged from because they don't align with the way of Jesus. And so he's becoming conscious of that reality. Yeah, I, I need to be wanting to do this. I still don't, not quite there yet, but I've got to work through this. I have to purge certain attitudes and behaviors out of my life. Third is the idea of illumination. It is characterized by a radical shift of deep dynamics of our being. A profound transformation of our relationship with God, a total consecration to God's love. It's hard not to think about the very next chapter, Romans chapter 8, a beautiful chapter of the Apostle Paul just depicting the beauty and the reality of God's love. He was fully consecrated to that reality, understanding a complete forgiveness of sin because God is love, understanding the, the beauty of what God did in sending his son. He is captivated and he is caught up in the love of God. And all of this leads to what he calls now union. Union is characterized by those experiences of complete oneness with God is which we find ourselves caught up in rapturous joy, adoration, praise, and a deep peace that passes all understanding. And I don't believe there's a person in this room this morning who does not see that and go, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. I want joy. I wanna praise God. I wanna experience peace. I want that union. And, and again, the stages of maturity, that's where we are all trying to grow. It's where we're all trying to get to. Now, again, we're all in different places. Some of us have maybe just had our awakening. Maybe today will be that day for you where you will be awakened to the story of God. You'll be awakened to the reality of Jesus. And then some of us are in that process where we're beginning to really do the inward reflection to say, you know what? This attitude, this behavior, it has to go. It is not leading to life. It is leading to brokenness. It is leading to frustration. It once maybe was supplying me something, but now that I've stepped into a relationship with Jesus, now it just really just seems dysfunctional. This has to go. And then we move into this place of just a deep love and affection of God, understanding the love that God has for us. That is so essential for people today. And ultimately, this leads us in this beautiful union with Jesus having communion with Jesus, walking with the Spirit of God each and every day, experiencing that joy, experiencing that peace, being carried by that great hope. Now, after kind of asking the church to, to level up and to attain where they're at in spiritual maturity and then to continue to move forward, he then makes this statement. He says, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. The word example can be translated pattern. The Apostle Paul, he offers himself as a living pattern of behavior 
by which the Philippian church can shape their lives after. He uses this very similar language in his letter to the church in Corinth. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, right away, you might be thinking, okay, Paul, keep the ego in check a little bit, buddy. Follow me, follow my example. But see, the reality is we have to understand and remember that these individuals, they don't have this. They don't have the New Testament. They can't just go like we can go and and scroll through these heroes of the faith and and see all of the, the different readings and the writings and the characters and the things that we are called to. So it was essential for the Apostle Paul not just to speak pure gospel to them and the truth of God's word, but to live it out. So that they had a model, a pattern to walk after. Now I'm just gonna propose it to us this morning We might have the New Testament, yes. We have the biblical narrative, yes. We have the scriptures in front of us. There are great examples of the heroes of the faith within that. But can I just be honest? I'd love to see some heroes of the faith today in the church. I mean, ought there not to be some men and women who have been captivated by the person and the work of Jesus Christ enough to where they are willing to sacrifice everything to follow after his ways? And then to be so bold enough to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, when I think about my young kids, I want them to be born and raised into a church like this where they can look around the room and there are people that they can follow. People who are surrendered to orthodoxy. People who are surrendered to following after this way who are working through the difficult parts of purging out the behaviors and the attitudes that do not align just for the sake of being able to say, hey, someone's gotta be able to do this. I'm gonna step into this. Let's follow each other. Let's go at this as a community and as a family. Even just for the sake of knowing that we're not on this journey alone. I know many of you, you enter into your workplaces and you feel like the way that you think and the way that you, you believe is just so counter to the world around you. It is, and that can be very disorientating at times. So you need to be able to come into a space like this and develop relationship with people here to say, you know what, we're doing this together. I can watch your life and say, yeah, this is someone who is submitted to the work of Christ and is going after this idea of of life following after maturity. I can partner with that person. I can come alongside that person. I can go with that individual. It's deeply important for us to have those types of heroes. And partly why it's important, partly why he says keep your eyes on those who do is because in the next verse, we're gonna learn that many will not. Many will not follow after the way of Jesus in the way that we are called to. Many will, and we'll talk about it in a moment, but they'll come to the idea and love of faith in Christ, but it will end there. They'll have that grand, great spiritual awakening, but then they'll stop. They won't continue on the journey. Paul says it like this, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, before we get into this idea of being an enemy of the cross of Christ, I want to make sure and understand and have us understand together. Look at the emotion for the Apostle Paul in saying this. I don't sense anger in him, that he's mad that there would be these people who 
come to know Jesus, but don't continue on. Like, these are enemies of the cross. No, no, he is in tears. It breaks his heart. I believe that should convict some of us in this room this morning. Because we look out at the evil in the world, we look out at the dysfunction in the world, and we get angry. Why not weep? Why do we no longer go to that emotion of just, I am so upset, my heart breaks because people have yet to understand the beauty of what's really taking place. That there is a God who loves them. There's a God who came and was willing to die for them so that they could be in right relationship with him and that's where their deepest fulfillment is going to come from. Ah, I weep because I want that for people. The unfortunate part is that for many in fact, the majority, they will live as enemies of the cross. Now, it's easy to see in the first century how this would be very um, common because what he's really gonna begin to break down for us is the idea of people come to know Christ, but they've also come from other beliefs and other religious uh, entities I mean, in the first century, I mean, everybody had their religion or they had the God or the multiple gods that they were aware of. They had the different philosophies that they had heard. So they are coming from that and now they are stepping into the relationship with Christ. And so for many of them, what happens is it's a Christ and blank. Faith in Christ and then whatever else I had cooking before. And I'm gonna try to somehow make a spiritual stew out of these things. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> so for example, for some of these individuals, it was Christ and Judaism. There were these individuals, they called them the Judaizers. And they were ones who pressed this idea of, hey, yeah, yeah, you can come to faith in Christ. And yeah, the cross is good and salvation is good, but you have to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, it does not matter. Okay, that's not true. But it was hard for them because they're coming from this Jewish system. They're putting faith in Christ, but they want to do both and. Or think about another group of people. It was Christ and Greek philosophy. I think about the Greek philosopher Epicurus. And then his whole thought process was expressed in the fulfilling of your physical appetites. That fulfilling your physical appetites was your highest good in life. Whatever you feel, whatever you desire, whatever the appetite, that is what you should give yourself to. So just imagine having that be your philosophy, that be your way of life, and now you're coming into relationship with Jesus and he's got a little bit of a different teaching. Christ and blank. Now, as much as we just talked about two thoughts that were very prevalent in the first century. How many know that we deal with this today? Christ and there's a lot that we could fill in the blank. See, every person who comes to Christ has first been formed by the philosophies and the ideologies of their day. And if not careful, even in coming to Christ, you will continue to be formed by the philosophies and the ideologies of your day. We could give a lot of examples, but I think a number one that is so prominent right now is Christ and hedonism. Hedonism is this basic idea of the pursuit of pleasure, self-indulgence. Does that not sound like our culture today? But let's just be honest, it's really hard to adhere to the teachings of Christ of self-denial and also to hedonism of self-indulgence. 
I mean, that is, those are very polar opposites on the spectrum. If I'm gonna follow after the way of Jesus and the way that he has called me to, I'm gonna deny self, take up cross and follow after him. That does not mean take my, up my cross and follow after my own desires. It doesn't work that way. There has to be the willingness to say, okay, these two things cannot coincide any longer in my life. I like what Charles Spurgeon says. The worst enemies of the cross of Christ are the enemies inside the professing church of Christ. Because people look in and it's very hard for them to understand because there's so many different things at play here. Faith in Christ, but faith in the world. Faith in Christ, but faith in my own desire. How do I even correlate that this would have any real actual meaning when you're just adding this on to everything else? Now he goes on to say that their destiny is destruction. These are enemies of the cross. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. If we were to parse that out, we might do it like this. Number one, the enemies of the cross living that way, their mind is set on earthly things. Fulfillment and satisfaction has become linked to what can be materially possessed and consumed. Everything is focused on the temporal. Their God is their stomach. They are driven by fleshly appetites and desires. They glory in their shame. That which should bring shame actually brings pride. And their end is destruction. And it'd be so easy to see how this plays out. I mean, if I'm only thinking temporal, if I'm only thinking about the here and now, if I'm only thinking about my wants and my desires and what would feel good to me, how would my marriage not end in destruction? Or my family? or my career, or relationships, whatever the thing might be, this is a path that ultimately leads to destruction. So as followers of the way of Jesus, we have to inverse that. And we have to begin to walk out a different pattern. So instead of our mind being set below, our mind is set above. Apostle Paul says this to the church in Colossae, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That means that our fulfillment and our satisfaction is found in our life with Christ. And that means that our heart then can be undivided. It's not divided with Christ and divided here and divided here and divided here. No, no, our allegiance becomes to Christ and to Christ alone. And how we do this is we have to work through a process of this phrase, I love this. We have to deauthorize our feelings. I heard someone say that a few weeks ago and I thought, that's brilliant. Because many of us, we do not deauthorize our feelings. We have completely authorized them to rule our lives. So we must, must deauthorize them so that we can slowly, over time, detach from fleshly desires through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to pursue a life of holiness. Then we will not glory in our shame but we will glory in our position in Christ. And the end of this life is the life of abundance. A famous verse from Jesus, John 10, 10, I have come so they might what? They might have life and have it more abundant, have it to the full. So if we're gonna journey on maturity, it's gonna begin with this mindset. Looking in, looking back and isolating the past, working through processes of healing, 
and then moving forward, understanding the stages of maturity that we're at, awakening, what needs to be purged from my life, understanding the deep love that God has in illumination, getting to that point of walking in complete union with him. That's gonna be the type of mind and the type of journey that's gonna lead us to a deep spiritual abundance. Now, outside of the things that would be so easy to say, why else is this important for the church to engage in this process of spiritual maturity? Well, Paul tells us in the next verse, because we are citizens of heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wanna be careful with how we deal with this idea of we are citizens in heaven. Because I think it has a very rich meaning that we will not see if we don't understand a little bit of the contextual reality of the city of Philippi. I mean, when you hear that, we're a citizen of heaven, where your mind might go is this idea that we are just waiting until we can go to heaven because that is where we belong. It kind of sounds like that a little bit. But let's look a, a little bit into the history of this city. So in, I believe it was 42... B.C., yes, 42 B.C., a war is taking place, the Roman Civil War, and there's this big battle in Philippi. And so these two generals who, their, their army won the battle. They had all of these military individuals, all these military men, and they thought, well, what do we do now that we won this battle? So instead of sending them all back to Rome, what they decided to do is that we are going to make Philippi a Roman colony. They're not going to go back to Rome. What they're going to do is they're actually going to bring Rome here. See, if someone in Philippi said we are citizens of Rome because it was a Roman colony, they wouldn't mean this idea of, yeah, we're citizens of Rome and we just cannot wait to go back to Rome. No, no, no. That's not what their mindset would be. See, the task of a Roman citizen in a colony of Rome is to bring Roman culture and Roman rule there. It was to expand the influence of Rome, not to simply long to be in Rome, but to bring Rome here. Does that change it a little bit in our minds? As one commentator would say, we have our home in heaven, yes, and here on earth, we are a colony of heaven citizens. See, this is what we get to do. We get to bring heaven to the here and now. We're not just waiting to go to heaven. We are bringing the reality of the kingdom of God, heaven principles, heaven life, right here and right now. That's why you have to walk through the process of maturity. Because the more you mature, the more beautifully you display your citizenship in heaven. I mean, what did Jesus say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? On earth as it is in heaven. There's this thought process that those who believe in Jesus will actually begin to display the reality of heaven in their world. And much like some of these individuals were a part of a Roman colony, listen, we're citizens of heaven. And for whatever reason, God decided that this was your time to be part of this colony here. You are in Sumner, Washington, Ording, Puyallup, South Hill, Buckley, Enumclaw, wherever you find yourself this morning living, Wherever you're at, bring heaven there. 
When you enter in as someone who carries the power of the Holy Spirit, when you walk into your home, you should bring heaven with you. When you enter into your workplace, you bring the realities of heaven there. I mean, that's what the world needs from the church right now. How many of us have taken the last number of years and we have gotten so good at calling out all the evil in the world from the comfort of our own laptop instead of understanding the beautiful reality that God says, yeah, I understand what's taking place in the world. Why don't you go forth and bring heaven? Bring it into your workplace. Bring it into the courtroom. Bring it into your neighborhoods. That's your role. That's what you get to do. But we have to be walking in maturity. We have to be going through the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I know Pastor Taylor mentioned this last week, but um, I'm sure many of you have been following these stories of what's been taking place in these universities. It's like just beautiful moments of like day upon day upon day of just worship and praise and testimony, all this great stuff. And I don't know about you, but don't you want that here? I mean, don't you? It's fun to watch it on Instagram, but I might have the audacity to say, why not here? What if all the things that could potentially be hindering us that we'd be willing to purge away from, that we'd be able to be real with our brokenness, real with the discomfort in our lives, real with some of the sin, be vulnerable, be honest, repent from those things, allow ourselves to be this open vessel ready for whatever God might wanna outpour. It's interesting because we can get so focused on the darkness, but even right now, it's like, let's open our eyes and see God is moving He's doing a good work and he invites us in. The question is, will we answer? Will we step in fully? Now the last verse, Apostle Paul says this, speaking of Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. as much as I'm not going to achieve ultimate Christ-like maturity this side of eternity, one day it's gonna happen. And some of the attitudes that I'm still carrying, some of the behaviors I'm still carrying, some of the frustrations, some of the sickness in our bodies will not be part of our glorious bodies. And we long for that and we hope for that and it spurs us on, but it doesn't stop us from continuing on the process. We don't just wait for that day, we engage in the moment. We are here right now for a reason and for a purpose. And we should be spurred on by the beauty and the reality that one day Christ will return, which is why we do things like we're about to do, take communion. Because in doing so, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward. They're gonna begin to pass out the elements. And as they do so, would you just have a couple moments of reflection? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what he needs to reveal to you in your moment. And then once they're all passed out, I'll come back up and I'll lead us in this time.